Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today we have a really wonderful guest and a really tremendous guest interviewer. First, the guest, David Oyelowo, one of those actors who is absolutely great in everything, from Ava DuVernay's Selma, in which he played the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., to Queen of Cotway, which is an absolutely beautiful movie, to Jack Reacher, to Les Miserables, to The Cloverfield Paradox, produced by J.J. Abrams. I'm specifically mentioning DuVernay and Abrams because their names will come up again this episode. Oyelowo is making his directorial debut, The Waterman, which is out today, and tells the story of a boy named Gunner, played by Lonnie Chavis, who sets off in search of a possibly mythical being who may be able to heal his leukemia-stricken mother, who is played by Rosario Dawson. Oyelowo plays his dad. Handling the interview duties this episode, while I just gleefully listened in, is Will Gluck, who recently directed Oyelowo in Peter Rabbit 2. Gluck is also behind films like Easy A, Friends with Benefits, and Annie, and his questions are so smart, so astute, and I learned more from this interview than almost any of the hundred or so that we've posted so far. I especially love the advice Oyelowo says he got from Gluck about a director's job, what a director does in a set that no one else does, and the advice that he got from DuVernay about tone. It's just so good. If you're making a film, you should really think about it. I also love the rapport between David Oyelowo and Will Gluck, two colleagues who obviously really like each other. The details about test screenings and how they really feel about reviews, and even how David Oyelowo ended up directing this film, really give you a sense of how Hollywood actually works. And I also love that there are two directors currently working on quote-unquote kids' movies who seem like they really, really respect kids, as well as the adults in the audience. You can see how much care goes into every decision they make, and how much love. The Waterman is out today in theaters. So with all that said, here's our guest, David Oyelowo, and our guest interviewer, Will Gluck. How, before we get into your transition from actor to director, how was the actual filming and editing uh, process of your movie? Did it live up to what you expected or was it a complete shock at every step of the way? Um, it was It was harder than I thought it would be and more gratifying than I thought it would be at the same time um, because you know, you can, you can, and I had conversations with you, Will, you gave me great advice, which, which stood me in, in good stead. And I spoke to other people whose work I really admire, but nothing can prepare you for literally being the person who every question gets asked to the person who is, you, you know, the, 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 your vision for the film is, is basically being funneled to tens if not hundreds of people um, and its execution largely lies on your shoulders. So um, I actually gained a lot of satisfaction from that. But, you know, something you said really stood me in good stead. I remember calling you and asking, what is your one piece of advice? And you said to me, no one cares about your film. And I said, what the hell are you talking about, Will? He said, trust me. The DP is, is all he cares about is his shot. The costume designer, all they care about is how good the costumes look. Makeup, same thing. 
you are the only person at the end of the day, if the film isn't as good as it can be, and you moved on before you knew any given shot, any given scene was as good as it can be, you are the only one to blame. And do not let the opinions of your collaborators who are primarily focused on their department dissuade you from asking for another take or, or you know, and, and I never forgot that because the initial statement was shocking and, and felt sort of like you were just being um, contrarian, but it, it proved to be true um, that at the end of the day, I, as much as I had to defer to my collaborators to do their job well, me doing my job well was making sure that their job was done well in the context of everything else. And so that was actually an incredibly satisfying thing to stand back and watch great artisans having their work intersect and being the person to say, okay, I think we've hit a confluence whereby that has worked enough that we can move on. Um, and, and so that was an unexpected and joyful part of movie making that was uh, definitely new to me. And did you, did you ever find it difficult moving from your um, transition from an actor to director? Did you ever find it difficult on set kind of being stern with people? Not, not, not I don't mean um, yelling at them, but, but making sure that, that they understood what, what you wanted to get at, even if it might've been against what their initial thought was? Well, again, a great piece of advice I got um, was uh, to know my vision, be able to communicate it clearly, and then get out of the way. And by, by having that piece of advice and being very fastidious with my ability to do that, I never had to sort of over communicate or be persuasive or get more annoyed than is you know advisable um you know you can get annoyed with the weather or the fact that you're losing your day or whatever but when it came to my ability to communicate what i needed i made sure i got very good at that um and and so uh no I also made sure that the, 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 my main collaborators, DP, production designer, makeup, costume, my fellow producers, they, they had been drilled with my vision for, for, for the film. And a great piece of advice, I actually got this the night before starting shooting was Ava DuVernay. I spoke to her over the phone and she said to me that a mistake that she felt she had made earlier on in her career is that she would direct um, a funny scene like it was from a comedy or an action scene like it was from an action movie or something dramatic in, in, in that sort of dramatic film way. And actually she said that by the time we had got to the point we, we did Selma together, she had landed on the fact that you have to know what the central theme of the film is and apply that to every scene. And for her, it was, for Selma, it was overcoming obstacles. And the political scene, or if it was a group scene, or just between two people, it's like, what is the struggle to overcome within this scene? And she said that that is the way to make a tonally even film, as opposed to what you sometimes see where the film is sort of all over the place, and, and so again, a piece of advice that I applied that made it very 
not easy to communicate, but but easier to communicate my vision for the film. So I I never found myself getting annoyed or frustrated because I've had I had to I had done the work of scrutinizing what kind of film I wanted to make and then being able to communicate that. What what how long ago did you think you wanted to be a director? Uh, and um, I think I probably know the answers. And what drew you to specifically the Waterman? Because when you first said to me. I'm directing my movie in Portland. It's Portland, right? Oregon, yeah. Yes, um, the yes, yes, yes. The first reaction is, oh, wow, I wouldn't have thought that this one, because I remember that script has been around Blacklist. It was a really, really good script. Yeah. And then when I saw it and I saw what you did with it, I said, oh, I understand why. But what, A, when did you think you wanted to try to direct and and not try to direct, direct very well, and and why Waterman? Um, I had directed plays in the UK before we, we moved to the to the States, so like 15, 20 years ago now, I always knew that directing film was something I, I wanted to do. I actually directed a short film, funnily enough, that Alfred Molina was also in and Kate oh. Mara was in it and Josh Gad. And, and that was about 10 years ago. It was a, a, a short film called The uh, Big Guy, it, it was called. And um, so, you know, but that was kind of a toe dip for me. I, what my, my goal was to work with great, directors use that as my film school and then hopefully find that thing that I could get my head around spending two years making because I still think of you know acting as my my day job and 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 the thing that is certainly for now primary but as you well know it's 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 a something you really have to go do I feel comfortable watching 800 iterations of this thing, spending all this time with it. And, uh, and it had to be the right thing. Um, so that, that had been a, a process in and of itself, but the Waterman specifically, funnily enough, I, I wasn't the initial, I wasn't initially gonna direct it. I just loved films like E.T., Goonies, Stand By mm -hmm. Me, Gremlins, you know, those Amblin movies that I grew up loving that I, couldn't quite understand why they weren't being made anymore. And having four kids of my own, I just loved sharing those films with my kids. For some reason, they don't, they aren't, they aren't as enamored with never ending story as I am. They can't understand the, 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 the dog dragon as they call it. But, um, <laughs> but, but I loved those films. And, you know, after you've watched the Marvel movies, the Disney movies, it's like, yeah, okay. And, and I also just think from a business point of view, to be able to make a film in the 10 to $20 million range, that's a four, three to four quadrant movie, just kind of makes business sense to me. So when, when um, uh, The Waterman came on the blacklist, CAA, my agency, I'd given them that remit to find me something in this universe and they brought me this. And so I fought very hard, went up against the studio to persuade Emma Nidell, our writer, to, to give it to me. And, but it was just gonna be something I was gonna produce and star mm -hmm. in. And then our director absconded to a bigger movie. And my passion for it was so evident that it was actually Emma, the writer who turned to me and said, I can't think of anyone better to direct this thing than you. And um, I took a beat, thought, okay, is this the thing I can get my head around spending that much time crafting and I decided it was and I and I and I never regretted it. And did you have trouble convincing the financiers to let you direct it? It's funny, you know, because because 
of the four-year journey of developing it and, and just really getting our hands dirty with it, the obstacles I think I would have faced if they hadn't seen the sheer level of passion that I had for making it. Also, we just had, we had a situation whereby we had a start date, we had mm. cast Lonnie, and we had the money, and right. you have those things, you go, you figure right. out a way to go. So I think it was um, all of those things uh, sort of uh, butted up against each other to make a situation whereby it was kind of, for them anyway, a no-brainer, maybe in a way that wouldn't have been the case if we didn't have all of those things in place. He was getting older by the day too, right? <laughs> yeah. I tell you, Will, literally six months later to eight months, it was impossible. I mean, he sounded like Barry White yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, within, uh, you know, and this is me showing my age because I said that to him and he goes, who's Barry He's White? <laughs> so, so um, but, uh, but yeah, we caught him and Amaya at exactly the right age. Yeah, that was great. Um, here's a question that, that, that I've always wanted to ask other directors. What part of the process do you think are you most influential over and, 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 and you feel is most uh, important? Meaning the development, because you started from the very beginning, development, yeah. the actual filming of it, and the post process. Which part do you think that your, your hands are the most, the most David of the, of the process? Wow, great question. And a question that I think would probably be different on the basis of the project with the Waterman, it was initially a white family in Montana. Um, and it was about two kids. They were both boys uh, going on this adventure. And when I, growing up, I loved those movies I'd mentioned to you, but I never saw myself represented in them. And so it was a very natural thing for me to think, gosh, you know, I, I want to play the dad. And so therefore, by osmosis, this is a black family. Um, so that was a, a, a fairly seismic change. Was that um, when you were still producing it? That was when you're, that was when you're just going to be in it before yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was when I was right. just producing it. Uh, um, and then, you know, because representation and seeing people doing things that they don't normally get to do in movies is something that I have a real focus on. You know, I have four sons and then a daughter and, and you know, my daughter in particular, she's someone who I just want to, I want her, her, she's a very fiery young girl. And so it just struck me, you know, initially in the film, it was Gunnar and Joseph, you know, that they were the ones going on this. And so I, I, you know, posited the idea of it being a girl um, who leads this boy through the forest. And, and what does that do? What opportunities does that present? Because dynamically it is different. And sure. so that's how she went from Joseph to Joe. Um, you know, I also um, uh, made the sheriff um, a woman, which is how Maria Bello uh, is, is in the film, just to shake things up. Because I know that in our business, we can get lazy and it's not, it's not necessarily conscious bias. It's just what we've seen. And so therefore we replicate it and replicate it and replicate it. And I remember saying to you, Will, your film, Annie, the effect that had on me and my daughter, I remember taking her specifically on a daddy daughter date to see Annie. 
And, I, and her looking at the big screen at Covagine Wallace, and I, I saw in real time the effect it was having on a little black girl to see herself on the big screen like that. And so, you know, I know the power of that. And so therefore, that, that's a big part of what I try to do with my films generally. So that, those, those are specific elements that were uh, baked into the film. And then I think one of the things that, the thing I know is performance because, you know, that's my day job, as I say. And, and I would say that was my biggest contribution outside of knowing the tone of film I wanted to make and, and Matt Lloyd, my director, being incredibly influential on that in terms of the look and, and then, you know, working with Emma Nadell to really shape the, the narrative as well. But the tone of the performances and being able to communicate what I needed from the actors and basically directing them in the way I like to be directed, I would say was my other biggest sort of influence on the film. And so when you were in, when you were in post, did you feel that you could um, really reshape things and, sh and change things a lot, or were you more just kind of the groceries were, you know, were picked and you're kind of cooking what you already had? Um, no, well, as you well know, you make the film and you've done this more than me, so, so you know more than me, but the thing that I found out, which I think every director who's paying attention finds out is the film starts talking to you. The film starts telling you what belongs in it, what doesn't, you fight it, and then you let go of it, and it opens up a myriad of possibilities. So yes, you know, the, the, the groceries were definitely there, and the, the meal that I wanted to make was in my head, and then it became clear that there was something potentially better um, mm -hmm. that was on offer, and I remember showing you the film and you talking to me about specific things. What I loved about your notes is that they weren't seismic. They were surgical. They were just like, the, 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 what you have there, it's just making me focus more on that character than that character. I remember you talking about point of view and sticking with the point of view, which is something I tried to do, but you have bits you fall in love with. And so you hope that the audience is just gonna look over here for long enough without being upset. And, right. and you know, you show it to a fresh pair of eyes and they go, oh, why am I looking over there? Yes, the shots are pretty and that's a nice performance, but that's not your movie. So I, again, by listening to directors who I had worked with seen them do things successfully, but more generously were telling me things that they'd done unsuccessfully to help me avoid those potholes really helped me um, be quite disciplined with listening to the film as it started talking back to me. It's interesting because I remember I went to see, uh, after the screening, Phil Lord and I were, were outside talking about, and the big thing we were talking about was not the notes, but how to deliver you the notes. Because oh, really, which brings me to my next question: um, How did you? And this should be, should be very honest. How do you? How did you feel the screening process went? Now, meaning, did you find the screening showing it to people? Was it more valuable to you watching it? Which I did notice in the screening, you did not stay in the room. Right, you left. You did not stay in the room. Yeah, well, no, I didn't stay. I didn't stay for the um, for oh, no, the question and answer. 
question, but you were there for the movie. I was there, there for the movie, but but yeah. I didn't want, because it was friends and family, um, I didn't want my presence there to make people feel the need to water down what they were right. saying or be kind right. to me. I wanted complete and utter honesty. It's painful. It's nerve wracking. It is sweat inducing. It is so, you know, uh, uh, exposing to to show it to an audience. But it's absolutely necessitous because at the end of the day, I know this from being in movies. No one cares about the process to getting to a good movie. They just all they care about is whether they liked it or not. And if there are things that you stubbornly kept in the film because you didn't want to listen, what I have found to be true is those notes that keep on coming back, if not addressed, never go away. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to, you know, I'm pretty good at eating the chicken and spitting out the bones, you know, like what is the, what is the narrative that keeps on coming back? Um, and, you know, some, some of those were hard to hear, you know, because one of the tough things with The Waterman was I was looking to make a genuine family film. And what I mean by that is a film that both young people and their parents and their grandparents can all enjoy, which is a tough needle to thread. You've made those kind of films. I had just made a film of that nature with you in Peter Rabbit just before I went on to direct this. Um, and at given points, it would skew adult, um, especially around the theme of loss and illness. And then at other times it would skew more sort of adventure and, and uh, you know, a bit more geared towards kids. And it was like, where is that, where is that perfect confluence of the two whereby it feels like it's not alienating kids, it's not alienating grownups and no studio does that better than Pixar. But, but Pixar has the advantage of it being animation. So in a film like Up, you can smuggle in some really heavy themes because, oh, it's animation. But you literally make Up as a live action film. That first act is like yeah. the studio is freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, but it was incredibly helpful um, um, process to me. And, and that's why I had filmmakers. I had you there, I had Phil Lord there. I had, you know, um, I showed it to JJ Abrams. I showed it to Ava. I showed it to really people who know how to make movies and they gave me such great advice. Yeah, the pro so I'm gonna ask a question about the children's films in a second or family films in a second, but um, did you find, could you tell when showing, showing the movie to people, when they were just being nice? Could you tell when they didn't want to tell you something? Also, could you tell when they were telling you something that you just completely did, did disagreed with? It wasn't one of those things you talked about that in your gut you knew is right, but was completely just, I find the most, the hardest part of showing movies to people is trying to navigate the, the, the personalities behind the note, which is why I've learned, I've, I, I much rather show my movies to people I don't know. Mm. And they don't care about me. All they care about is what they saw. And then people who I do know, it's like, it's like your face, it's like your kids giving you, you know, when you're, when you give a sandwich you made to your kids, they're going to be like, what is this? But so that's what I found. Did you find that? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting 
thing to bring up because there was a discernible difference between the friends and family screenings and then the test screening, you know, where people are dispassionate and they just say whatever they want. And um, I, I made, so conversely, you know, with you guys, I stepped out of the room for the Q&A. Right, at right. the at the um, Q and A for the test screening, I I was in the back without right. the audience knowing I was there. Whoo, yeah, they <laughs> they did not care um, as to as to my, hurting my feelings or not. And you know, I think because I'm an actor, I like to think that I'm a pretty good re reader of human behavior. So when people were saying certain things to me, I could kind of discern but again as i say will the things i was looking for it was the same thing with the friends and family and the test screening what are the recurring criticisms you know because at the end of the day as a filmmaker as you know you have to have a point of view you have to remember why you made the movie and there are central elements of why i made the movie that whether people liked it or not, it mattered less to me because I literally knew that what I wanted to put in the world was a film about sacrificial love and the fact that an 11 year old could literally risk life and limb for his own mother. And what does that look like? You know, because that's not something you see every day. And I, I had a relationship like that with my mother. Uh, and, I, and that to me is what family is actually about. Um, and I didn't really mind if people thought, oh, no, an 11 year old wouldn't do that because I know what kind of 11 year old I was and, and I wanted to see that on screen. So that was a non-negotiable for me. But, you know, if, if, if I was making it, if I stayed in the waterman's hut too long, which was a big note for a long time, yeah, you yeah. saw too much of the waterman and how that diminishes the impact of the waterman. You know, that that was something I was like, ah, but but it's called the waterman. And and he has this thing with the waterman. People were saying, we see too much of him, we see too much of him, we see too much of it. You know, and that was just a recurring note. And you know, we, we, we shaved and shaved and shaved and shaved. And I got annoyed hearing that note, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. And it was, it was the right note. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, it was the right note. Uh, um, and, and that was the thing that if, if it hadn't emerged as often as it did, I wouldn't have listened. It, right. it, it was just, I, you know what I pictured? I, I pictured reviews saying exactly that and just thinking right. well that's on me i hate reviews we all hate reviews but yeah. if you knowingly walk into that criticism you only have yourself to blame oh, yeah i whenever i read reviews and they're right about something that i knew i was yeah. like that's on me. that's on yeah. me because yeah um so not to give away anything um spoiler i guess but you did tell me recently that you had some changes at the end yes was that based on test screenings or or your own screenings or editing or why did you change that? That was based on the year we've just had in terms of the pandemic. Wow. Um, we we made this film just before the the world changed. the 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 film looks at grief. It looks at loss. It looks at illness. 
all things that as a planet we have now had to navigate and that wasn't maybe that was the case before the pandemic but not in as discernible and undeniable and as present a way as the pandemic has presented and so the film ended on a more um it ended on a on a, on a, i should say a a more real it was a more real ending i.e an acknowledgement sadder. sorry sadder. yes you know it, it was it was sadder it was sadder and 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 it and but you know i resisted the notion of it being sad or somber and i would say real i would say well we've done a film about loss and to then sort of pretend like that's not a reality feels disingenuous to me but what i realized as i started showing the film to people who were literally going through uh, uh, what as as families as communities what the film was about it just became like a, a, a layering on top of their experience that just made the ending feel like something that was like oh wow okay um, and literally by swapping the two final scenes of the movie it it didn't take away from the reality but it ended in a more hopeful place that we all need right now and 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 i the, the big lesson it taught me because it was quite a dramatic difference in reaction by literally just swapping the last two scenes and it just showed me that you can't make films in a vacuum uh, well you can and that's when you watch films that to be perfectly honest they can feel uh, pretentious they can feel indulgent um and, and they can feel insular you know if you if you if it doesn't feel like it's connecting to humanity and you know the thing that i resisted was that you know i like to think of films as timeless but i had to acknowledge that i was i was releasing a film in the wake of one of the most dramatic and unexpected moments in hu human history and again I would only have myself to blame to dig myself my heels in, and then for whatever reason, the world is just going. I'm I'm not I'm not ready for that movie in the wake of what's just happened. And then didn't you also tell me about you know, to steal some shots of the kid and that kind of stuff in the dinner table? Didn't you mention that to get oh, yeah. that? To work? So I think talk a little bit about that, but also which brings me to my next question. And you can you're one of the few that can speak to this. Oftentimes, a lot of times, actors realize that once they finish their role when they leave set they're just giving it up to the director and and that's why a lot of actors until they trust the director uh are want to do it their way or want to even and don't want to so until they realize that the director has their best interest in heart in the movie and won't do that there some people are hesitant for this very reason and what you did then as a director is you kind of made some magic happen now in this situation it didn't affect the actor anyway, but how did you feel as a director kind of literally manipulating and doing what every actor is nervous about? Yeah, it's, oh gosh. Well, I remember when you and I were on the set of, of Peter Rabbit 2 and you you have such a, a, a grasp of those films. I remember early on when we would, watching Donald, and and rose and the crazy and 
just odd sight of them interacting with these puppets or, or these maquettes that are going to end up being the rabbits. And, and I just remember thinking, oh my, oh my goodness, are we gonna be okay? Um, and, then I, and then I remembered how much I loved the first film and that you had such a command of what needed to be done. And there was no sense of insecurity or a lack of surety either from you or them in relation to what was being done. And so I, re I recognized that even though this looks odd, feels odd, um, I, there is a there's clearly a safety net here that I can, I can throw myself into. And that is probably where my best work is going to happen because there is, there, there is a team here that is well-oiled and I just need to fit into that. So um, I tried to create that. I literally came off of your set onto my set. And there were several things I, I, I stole from the way you direct. And one, and one of the things you, you have is absolute confidence in what you're doing until you go, oh, let's change it. And uh, initially for me, it was like, oh, I, I've just done the, the line like that four times. Nah, it's, it's not working. Uh, try da da da. Okay, try. And it was, but it was always done in a way whereby I knew when you were happy and I knew when you were unsure and you never hit it. And so that was a, something that I applied to, 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 to my set, which is like when I knew I was right or when I knew what I wanted, I should say, complete confidence. And then when I didn't, I was like, okay, it's not quite working. What do, what do we do? Try this, try that, try this. So therefore, by the time I got to the edit, I never really felt like I was sort of manipulating the performances in any way because again you know the, 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 there had been a very open environment of this is what we're trying to get to and there are several paths to get to it I mean you and I were still playing in ADR on on stuff that was like fundamental to my character and the story and things like that which is the joy of movie making so I love the malleability and the elasticity of it and that, that you can go in and go, okay, we need to change the ending. I don't have my ending shot. So I have this particular, I have, I literally had a, a moment with Lonnie where we had to slow it all the way down and, 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 and you know, take away any push in that we did. You know, we had to employ all sorts of things. Yeah. And no one would ever know because you didn't really get that shot. And it's the and it's the last frame of the movie. And you go, oh, oh gosh, that was close, you know. Um, but that's the joy of it. I mean, my favorite VFX shots ever, and I've done, you know, big VFX movies, are shots that people don't know they're VFX. And it's always right. like how to solve a problem by taking the background out, sticking them in a different room, or flipping this, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it feels like, to the point of being an actor to director, not very many first time directors have the confidence that you seem to have had on The Waterman to do that. Cause a lot of first time directors want the world to think that they know what's happening, right? They, they and, and never, and if they're, if they're, if an actor or a crew member kind of confronts them, how about this way? A lot of directors, you're stubborn in the way that they don't want the world to know that they might, they might've made a mistake. And I've learned, you know, many movies in, no one knows what we're doing. I keep saying to the crew, I said, first of all, all we know is this, that the crew members have done this a hundred times more than we have, right? Because right. they go to movie, to movie, to movie, to movie. We're, we're the new ones, right? So, and I, and I can tell by watching The Waterman, the confidence you had 
in playing and figuring stuff out, especially from cut to cut, which is which is awesome to see because oftentimes actors going directors go the other way and they want people to go, I'm not just an actor. I know what I'm doing, right? Which is the worst. Um, but let's talk about, um, which you did very well and you talked about the Goonies. Um, and I have a take on this too, but how did you prepare yourself when you made this movie not to cater, not to pander to kids, not, not to ignore kids, not to ignore adults. How did you kind of keep yourself on vision of just making a movie and hoping, or how did you rectify in your head, justify in your head that this would be for kids and parents without, without me having to like, here's a banana peel scene for the kids. Well, here's a scene about this. Like, how did you keep doing that during the making of the film? So much of it was life experience. And I, and I say that in relation to what you've just said and the, the, the potholes I think actors can get into when they segue to directing. You know, The Waterman was the sixth film that I've produced. And so I've watched directors sometimes make those mistakes. I've watched it as a producer. I've watched it as an actor who is observant and who knows that he wants to be part of the filmmaking process. And sometimes you learn more from the bad experiences than the good experiences. So, you know, it may not have been directors who were who are actors but certainly working with first-time directors you can often have the same thing where it's like people are so intent on looking like they know what they're doing that they 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 lose all sense of the fact that this is ultimately a collaboration that you have the privilege of leading um so that was my lesson there and then my other lesson was you know having kids and looking at what they gravitate towards and looking how emotionally intelligent they are, watching films with them and, and seeing how annoyed they are when they feel pandered to or patronized um, and how in our lives, you know, we've suffered tragedy. I, I lost both my parents in the last five years and, and my kids were close with their grandparents and I watched them navigate that. My dad, who just passed away in September, lived with us for four years before he passed away. And I watched all of my kids have different reactions to that. And, and I knew that, you know, societally, we don't give kids enough credit in terms of the how robust they are to take things on and you know a real inspiration for this film was stand by me which is you know which is an r-rated film but i still think of it as a family film you know only the language is what makes it a, 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 an r-rated film but you look at you know these kids are off looking for a dead body and then the the the, the main kid is he's got all this you know, his parents are dealing with the bereavement of his older brother and their marriage is struggling as a result. And then there's another one of the kids whose father abandoned him and yeah, like, like heavy stuff. But you go on this adventure with them and you, I've watched that, that, that film as a kid and I've watched it as an adult and it, it has different effects on me, but it's still just a great film. And I showed it to my kids the other day and they just loved it. They just lapped it up. And so that, it was about not patronizing kids and not pandering to adults um, at, 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 this, at the same time. You know, making sure that the, the reality of what is going on with the parents feels authentic and then the 
reality and fantasy of what's happening with the, with the kids feels germane to that age. And, and how do you juggle fantasy and reality in a way that is understandable by both age groups? And I think it's just to accept that when you're a kid, reality is close to fantasy and fantasy is close to reality. And fantasy is the way you cope with reality. Um, and, and, and so those, those elements being present enough in an authentic enough way, I just trusted that anyone and everyone would be able to relate to them, even though they are tethering to different parts of the story, depending on their own experience and their own age bracket. Well, the film very did not feel that it was, it felt very the same tone, which was great and very, very hard to pull off. And, and one thing I've learned, and you did it magnificently, the first one is what really, when people are saying that the kids will understand that it's too deep, the kids don't care at all. The kids go through all their life not understanding anything. They don't know anything. They're learning. That's what they're learning. So when you get a word or a theme that they don't get, that's how they live their life. They don't care. It's the parents who are worried that the kids aren't understanding it, or it's the parents that are worried that the kids might be um, offended by it. And the kids, they don't know anything. So I realized, and you did it well, it's mostly making the parents feel that it's okay for kids to be going through that. And that, and that I think you did well, because a lot of your movies with the kids was just kids. And when, when parents watch just kids on screen, they, they get nervous because they're dealing with stuff. As do studios, by the way, which They're is the same. They're the which, same. Which, which is why I'm so grateful that I got to make this independently before we then sold it. That that of course is nerve wracking because you know will it sell? But you know the the irony, and maybe this is why these films aren't getting made as much these days, is that grown ups have a complete misconception of what young people are going to gravitate towards if it's not Marvel or these sort of big action-y events, IP-driven films. Um, and we definitely encountered that. People, people who, they're, maybe they're not the audience or they just are so nervous about what uh, 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 kids can, take on, or as you say, don't really care about. That, that's not what, what you're focusing on is not what they're gonna be focusing on. Um, and so that, you know, it takes having a Spielberg who at some point just goes, I'm making that movie. Or, right. or, a, or, a, or a John Hughes or a J.J. Abrams or, a, you know, who just goes, I'm making that movie. And and people go, OK, well, the last one worked. Um, and, and, you know, I think we've 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 created and cultivated an environment now whereby. Up and coming directors, I've heard it said that this was an odd choice for me to make this film. And I think it's because, you know, people think of me as, a, as an actor who's made historical dramas and important films. And so, you know, I should be directing if Beale Street could talk and, and you, that, that kind of thing. And I think that we've created a culture whereby that's what's going to be celebrated and appreciated from an emerging filmmaker. Um, as opposed to something that is 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 
for a broader group of people as your first film um, that isn't an important film, that isn't like issues driven uh, or for a black actor isn't race driven. Um, and, and so, you know, that's why I think films like this aren't as, as, as prevalent because they're not necessarily what Sundance is gonna program or, or, right. or, 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 or whatever, you know. So, I mean, which brings me to another question is that, I know I, I, my career, when I did Annie and then the Peter Rabbit movies, I did it because I had kids and that's, right. that's, I never thought five years ago I'd ever done this. And I did it with my kids and I wanted to be with them and kind of for them. And also with that, that's what I was interested in. And now that my kids are older, my next movies aren't that, which leads me to my question for you. You have five kids. Um, four, maybe, four kids. Four kids, maybe more, right? Yeah, maybe well, more. You, you never know. <laughs> Um, so, um, the question is, is your, would your next movie you direct be not an ish genre, would be something different? It's a great question. And this is where I have the luxury of waiting for that thing that speaks to me, as opposed to, because, uh, acting is sort of, you know, right. the, the thing, that's my, that's my job and that's the thing I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm gonna just see what speaks to me because The Waterman was not a film I thought I was going to direct, but it just, it was just a moment in time where it was like, this, the issues this is about and the conversations I'm having with my kids and the time I'm at in my own life feels like this is something I want to, to roll my sleeves up and do. And there is a real chance that as you say, you know, with with what's happening in my life, it, inevitably it's going to affect uh, the the next choice I make because directing for me isn't you know just about oh gosh gotta gotta pay the bills. It's like it means a bit more. It's sort of like it's this is gonna sound conceited, but it's a bit more legacy driven. It's more like okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna leave a couple of things that were clearly important to me behind, right. taking two years to direct a movie. Th that and I think that's why some people say, "Gosh, what, what an interesting choice of of the, the your first film that it isn't like this sort of uh, important film, but it's important to me because the themes really resonate with me." So I actually don't know, but I do think that I, I don't know that I'm going to be gravit I'm going to gravitate towards necessarily the kind of films I'm known for doing as an actor, which is you know maybe historical figure because I love just playing. I love inventing. I love a fictional story whereby you can just go in and use all of the tools as opposed to being restricted to, okay, oh, hold on, hold on. That's not the kind of shirt they would wear in 1963 or whatever, you know, and, and I just, I just love the, the unrestricted and gay abandon of, of just being able to go in and play. Well, I would say also that the, for me anyway, and it sounds like for you too, the legacy for me is where I was in my life when I made the movies and that's the most important legacy. And so it very, it is always very interesting. Everyone seems to have an opinion of what you should do next yes. um, based on, well, you've always done this. You should do that again. And why well, you're so good at that? Why would you not do that? So, and the one thing I've learned early on is just do what, what you said speaks to you, which, which is now I would be remiss to ask this, not to ask this question. because I think it's the law for these questions. Was it hard to direct yourself? Oh, it, it was the thing I was most nervous about um, because because you're, you're, you're an actor. You're a dick. 
So <laughs> it's going to be hard for you to, to get through to you. I was, I was so nervous as to how much I would talk back at myself. Um, <laughs> exactly. um, it, it was definitely something I was nervous about. The main thing being, because I was so distracted by so many other things, am I going to be like the worst thing about my own movie? Um, and so I had Jess, my wife, who's also in the film, but who knows me more than anyone else, be there on set with me, especially for the beginning, and just to be there to call BS on anything that just felt like, whoa, you are phoning that in, you know. Um, and um, and she would give me a thumbs up, a sideways, or a, you know, kind of thing. And um, this, is the worst. this is the worst, by the way. This is the worst. It's the yeah. worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you see, doing doing that, um, but uh, but thankfully it was it was it was thankfully never that. And what I realized is that you know, giving a performance has become muscle memory for me. So I know what a good performance feels like, and I know when it's not working. And actually, it it felt okay. Um, if anything, the hardest thing were were the days whereby. I would be on camera for some of the day and then not the rest of the day. So I would, I remember one day where, you know, the morning was, I wasn't in the scene, I was just directing. And then at some point, the costume designer starts walking up to me with my costume while I'm on set. And, and I remember looking at her going, what are you, what are you doing? You, you have to change you're in the next scene. And I, it, it just threw me so much, wow. you know, yeah. having to like, and they had this little tent where I had to then change and, and then be on camera. And it was so weird. And there was this other day where it was, if you've seen the film, well, you've seen the film, um, there's this, the, at the end, there's this fire scene. And I'm literally behind the monitor directing Lonnie and Amaya and, and giving them all the cues. Where, okay, and then the fire goes up and you're scared. And then, and then look around and, and all of that. And then it's the moment when I have to run in and go right. save them. And so I'm literally behind the monitor like this, giving them direct direction, watching, watching, makeup is sort of putting sweat on me while I'm directing. I then take the cans off, run into the scene. And I'm, I'm in the scene, save them and then, and cut and then, <laughs> And I go and watch it, and it was just like, this is so insane. But it was also beyond exhilarating to be that involved oh. in every aspect of the film. It was just kind of amazing. I bet you can't yeah. imagine doing that. Well, no, but they said like directors have a god complex. That takes it to a next level because you're literally you're literally directing and running in and saving them, and then watching. Them like that. <laughs> yeah. And deciding whether it's good or not. Did you watch all the playback of your stuff? No, I knew that would be death. I, I you know, yeah. as you well know, when you're when you're uh, on a tight schedule, to be watching back every time, you know, is 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 not a good habit anyway. With stunts, you'd watch it back and and things like that. You know, I I first encountered Q takes on your on your film. You know, walking around with the iPad. That was a a, a really great thing. So, uh, you know, so I was never going to a monitor. My assistant would just run to me and I could see it. That saved a lot of time. As you well know, movie making is also just a huge time-saving exercise. Um, so, you know, watching everything back did not feel like a good idea. Do you, would you, I don't know how much longer we have, but I, I guess one more question is, 
would you ever find yourself directing a movie that takes like nine months to shoot or would that be absolute health? Like, well, those tend to be very VFX driven, um, very much about things that are not human beings happen. Do you know what I mean? Th those are more cumbersome films. I really love actors and I, what I try to do, even though there are a lot of VFX shots in the film, every shot had something real about it for the actors to interact with. I never, you know, even the log crossing, you know, we literally had half of a log hanging over a river, knowing that we were gonna have to sort of do some VFX afterwards. Cause I know what it feels like to, to literally have Thing. Yeah. Even on Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which I did, you know, even though it's a hugely VFX driven movie, to have Andy Serkis there playing Caesar and reacting with him made that film so much better than if it was just like this tennis ball on the end of a pole kind of thing, which is sometimes what you're having. So I, I'm not really interested in, they are interminable to shoot as an actor. I can only imagine what it's like as a director. So that would not be something that would be of, of interest to me now. I do remember talking to you after, I knew you're a director now, but I said to you, the the log thing, there's was, was there like a someone stuck man's hand in there? Do you remember that? Oh there was yeah. Like a, and you're like, yeah, 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 we're gonna fix it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. No, it was supposed to be Lonnie's hand, and Lonnie's eleven, and the stuntman's yeah, so, yeah. like forty-five yeah. and has this, this vein, this veiny, gnarly hand. I was like, shut up, Will, we're gonna fix yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yes, I, I yeah, yeah. Um, well. Tim, did there any questions we didn't touch on? Uh, how do you unmute on Zoom? Um, no, I thought that was amazing. Honestly, that was everything I was. I hoped you talk about and so much more. And it's, I don't know why I ever do interviews and we don't just recruit a director to come in and ask because having having two people who know what they talk what they're talking about is so much better than me trying to keep up. I, I just, I really enjoyed this and really, really appreciated it. Well, it was fun for me. I'm really glad that Ava and JJ were busy, David. So uh, <laughs> You um, are the first person <laughs> I brought up, Will. How dare you? Very busy, I get it. That was David Oyelowo and Will Gluck. And Will Gluck ending the interview with a pretty solid joke. Not bad. I'm definitely going to go see the Peter Rabbit movies, which I somehow failed to see before. Uh, I have a small child now, so I finally have an excuse to see a lot of movies. I've been meaning to see for a long time, and those are at the top of the list. Thank you so much to David Oyelowo and Will Gluck. Thank you so much to you for listening. Really appreciate it. That interview you just heard, by the way, is also featured in the latest print issue of Movie Maker magazine. Dasha Nekrasova is on the cover. It's very good. It's a good issue. Everybody worked really hard, and we're really proud of it. If you've enjoyed this, I hope you will subscribe to this podcast. I hope you'll go back and listen to our last episode with Adam McKay. Some of our other great past episodes with people like David Fincher, Margot Robbie, Regina King. I don't know. We've gotten some good people, and I think you might like listening to them. And please visit us anytime you like at moviemaker.com. And if you want to keep up with all this stuff and not have to remember it all, just sign up at moviemaker.com newsletter. It's free, it takes 10 seconds, and we'll send you every bit of Movie Maker stuff you could ever want. 
If you're a subscriber to this here show, I will see you back very soon when our guest will be Craig Zobel, the director of Mayor of Easttown, the outstanding HBO limited series with Kate Winslet as a detective on the outskirts of Philadelphia. I learned to talk in the area where the show takes place. And I got to tell you, it was so hard to do an episode about the Waterman because I grew up pronouncing it Wooderman. Yeah, you can laugh. Thanks so much. See you very soon.